Well, so we're going to today continue on during our, our series on, on spiritual disciplines. And we're going to talk about one that maybe some of you have never really thought of as a spiritual discipline. And that is to witness or witnessing. It's the act of giving testimony, of confirming something that you experienced. And, you know, why is this a discipline? So if you've gone to church for a while, maybe you hear the word discipline, you think of disciples. Jesus taught them, grew them, encouraged them for, for kind of over about three years. But many of us, at least for myself, when we think of discipline, we think of, of punishment, of rules, of how our parents would reprimand us when the rule of a house was broken. And, you know, while these two descriptions might actually seem to be polar opposites, they are both around control. And it's about fitting a person into a prescribed mold. Now, this may sound like I just described Jesus as a cult leader, but nothing can be further from the truth. The Bible and, and Jesus, as he quotes it, they're trying to teach us self-control, control over our, our basic nature. And this is the same for parents. Most parents, we, we don't make rules because we want to. We make rules to, to guide our kids into safe behavior. Um, we also don't punish the breaking of those rules just because we want to. In fact, sometimes it's like the worst part about being a parent. Um, but we use those consequences as a guide until our kids learn self-control or, or to avoid breaking those rules. And why is God so concerned with our behavior? First and foremost, it's because he loves us and he wants us to be healthy and happy. Second, it's because we are fallen and our base desires often outweigh our logic. They outweigh our restraint and our discipline. We make choices based on emotions, laziness, how hungry we are, and at times, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. But when we come to faith, the, the Father provides a replacement for all of that. We, we get access to the Holy Spirit. And if we let him, he will guide many of our decisions and he will train us in disciplines so that we avoid many of the snares and traps that the enemy puts in our way. So we call it self-control, but really it's about looking beyond ourself. It's beyond the immediate. It's beyond our desires. Uh, to the eternal and, and the greater. So these spiritual disciplines that we're going through are, are God's way of training us to better and healthier lifestyles. So let's just open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you that um, we could just have such a powerful time of worship and just that your presence comes when we gather. And Lord, we just... Um, commit this time to you, Lord. I just give you these words, Lord, just that you would speak through them and you would apply them as needed to, to, to our hearts, Lord, that you would be our trainer, that you would be our guide, that you would be our, our personal savior. And so we just lift this up before you this morning. Amen. So to witness, it's an ancient concept um, it's the root of almost every ancient legal system. 
And in our faith, it was used very extensively in the Old Testament, uh, and particularly in regard to covenants, setting property lines. Um, you know, we see examples where there's covenants between men. So Jacob and Laban, they make a, a covenant and they each witness um, the sides of it. But also we see this between man and God. So we see the, the Song of Moses in, in Deuteronomy 31, or the altar that's built um, by Reuben and Gad um, in Joshua 22 that was literally called Witness. And it was there to remind and tell of a story, of an event, and, and to tell people of that experience. So the Hebrew word for um, witness is aid. I like to call it ed. But the dis definition is one of seeing something and then telling someone else about it or giving a testimony about an event or a person. It's, it's speaking the truth about something we have experienced or a person's character that we have experienced. And in the biblical language, it's a, it's a fearsome charge to give witness. And the Lord actually gives very harsh punishment for those that witness falsely or even just refuse to speak by omission. As we work through the Bible, eventually the Old Testament gives way to the New, and we see our, our kind of our, our Hebrew word for witness change into Greek. And there's a few Greek words that also are all translated as witness, but the primary root of all of these is martus, from which we all recognize the most dreaded word in Christian history, martyr. <laughs> it's the scary one. But when we look at this definition, we see that the first two parts of it really line up to our, our Hebrew definition. Um, they stay the same. There's that legal use of the word witness and then those that have witnessed event. However, we now have a third line that talks about the ethical sense and those that stand strong in the faith. Yes, even inclusive of death. This, this Greek term includes the concept that we must witness faithfully regardless of the cost because to do otherwise would do a disservice to Jesus and his example, but also because at our core, it would be denying something that we know to be true. So witnessing is to tell people of what you've experienced legally, historically, and spiritually because it is the truth. The power of a witness is that they experienced firsthand, and so it's very hard to repute. You can attack a witness's character. You can point out their flaws and hope that people question their memory or their senses. But ultimately, the stronger that we experience something, the harder it is to deny. God did not design our faith to be one based on rituals and blind faith. There are both rituals and faith involved. But even from the earliest days of Israel, we see a culture of faith that is passed from one person to another by memory of the things that God has done for them, of stories of personal witness. We all have a story of how God is working in our lives, and in telling that story to others, we spread the good news, the gospel, in a real and tangible way. 
there's an undeniable truth to the power in the truth that we tell. Our culture is saturated by influencers, people that are telling you all about the products that they use and the solutions that they provide. To see and acknowledge something actively confirms its reality and its priority in our life. The first rule of, of any trending workout or diet is to tell everybody about that workout or diet. Or the first rule of CrossFit is that everyone has to know you do CrossFit. <laughs> you have been convinced that it is a solution. And so you want others to find that solution as well. Abraham Maslow developed his now kind of famous hierarchy of needs in 1943. However, you can also use this pyramid as a hierarchy of priorities. How important something is to you will come out in how much you talk about something. Try to get a new mother to stop talking about their baby. It's not going to happen. It's the most important thing in their life. Sorry, hubby. But someone has just come off a successful diet and they won't stop talking about it. Why? Because it has changed them and they value that change and in the case of a diet, their physical health. However, like the pyramid behind me, this also shows how much time we spend on things. All of our time and efforts are usually spent on those bottom rungs and we sacrifice the spiritual and mental things for those that are physical and tangible. It's interesting to note that witnessing does not ever change the facts. It's just about validating the experience and naming it as real. And I think this is sometimes why we're always so hesitant to witness about those greater things in life. Because we know it just doesn't change the facts of our brokenness or change the facts of our struggles. The burdens that we are called to face are still there whether we tell people or not. However, something amazing happens when we witness about our faith. Something mysterious and powerful goes to work because we are witnesses to the power of Christ in our hearts, but the Holy Spirit that comes alongside us was also the witness at those events. In Acts 5.32, we read, and we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So the Holy Spirit comes and he affirms that it is true. He takes that opportunity when we open it to come and insert himself into that witnessing. None of the facts change, and we're still responsible for all that is ours to do, but we also receive affirmation and blessing in our efforts. And this gives our witness meaning and encourages us to keep showing up. Often when we witness, the listener will see things in a story or see things in our story that we ourselves missed. For someone to witness our story, we must drop our masks and we must be vulnerable. The following is a, a, a statement I kind of paraphrased from, from Nancy Goodman. And it says that witnessing is a powerful force that allows massively transforming experiences to become known and communicated. Contact is made with the event, 
and with the remarkable way that the witnesses are able to represent the transformation to others. In particular, a witness's affirmation of their humanity are so moving and impressive that they create in us a determination to know more about the event, even though it might change or discomfort us. It is the power of witnessing that is able to break through the barriers erected in the mind when facing change or the unknown, and it is able to engender ways to convey what took place to others. Over and over again, the essence of witnessing is found to rest in a connection between people. For without witness, the dramatic scenes of an event is negated and it means nothing in our minds. The scene remains unsymbolized and fragmented until a witness is present who says, this I experienced. And the power of witnessing gives birth to the narrative. So Nancy Goodman wrote that about the Holocaust and how important it was for German soldiers and the German people in general to see video of the concentration camps and also how important it was to give voices to the stories of the survivors. Because until you have witnessed something or been emotionally connected to event, we are very good at staying aloft and detached. How often do we sit unaffected by a headline or news of some world event that has just happened? So it is a fact that the country of Myanmar, in its various names, has been in a state of unrest and almost perpetual war for 74 years. However, this does not even make our headlines or affect our day-to-day -day lives. Until Kevin and Julia come and stand up here and they tell of scenes of trying to sleep with bombs exploding in the background, of daily meeting with people that have had their lives disrupted, displaced, and they're refugees in another country, of kids that don't know where their parents are, don't know if they're alive. It's not the drama that connects us to the situation, it's the people. We are created to want to connect to one another, to connect to heaven in the vertical and to connect to each other in the horizontal. But like all of these spiritual disciplines that we're going through, you need the Holy Spirit to do it. Our witness without the Holy Spirit is just a story. It's Christmas without Christ. It's, it's prayer without hope. And it's justice without love and mercy. There is a strong connection between our call to witness and our connection to the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, Jesus tells us to be witnesses to the world, but only after telling the apostles to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the farthest parts of the earth. That grammatical hard pause there should also be a spiritual pause for us. Because Jesus knew that the best of intentions is going to fail and that we needed a witness, we needed a counselor, we needed help to go with us and to confirm the power, the love, and the truth 
of our witness about Jesus. But here's the thing. Some people have the spiritual gift of faith, and that allows them to naturally preach the gospel to all that they hear. They are created as evangelists by God, and that lets them do things that just scare the rest of us. However, that is not our excuse, because Jesus did not, in that verse, say, for the evangelists to go and preach the good news, he called all of us. The you that he said in front of shall be my witnesses, the Greek word there is that of being called by name. So basically, it's Greek for insert your name here. Tracy, you shall be my witness. Ade, you shall be my witness. There's no populational like, okay, as a group, we're going to do this together and I'm going to hang to the back. It's a very personal call. But how many of us are just excellent at something the first time we do it? Some, some people are naturals. It's true. But I would say the usual process is that we maybe pull it off, but there's a lot of checking the instructions and self-doubt along the way. I mean, have you ever put a frozen pizza in the oven and you've read like 17 minutes in your head three times and then you throw the instructions away and five minutes later you're like, how long was I supposed to keep that in the oven, right? Until we know the process, we constantly self-doubt the process that we are going through. And this is the way that all the things that the Lord wants us to do there are some that are easier for us depending on our skill sets and our gift sets, but transformation into a confident, skillful evangelist will only come if we practice the disciple of witnessing over and over again. Think of the people that you interact with on a daily basis. Those at work, those on transit, those cars that are around you commuting that clog up the left lane, how many of them know that you are Christian? And if you have not announced it, how many of that would guess from your behavior? This is your witness. And if you are in that magical scenario that all your friends and colleagues are Christians, uh, we're going to find you some new people to hang out with. <laughs> Deborah's got an entire ministry. You're going to meet some really cool people with some great stories, I have no doubt. Because here's the thing, Jesus did not just let his relational circles happen. Not only did he give careful thought to the selection of those in his inner circle, the disciples, but he also strategically pursued relationships with unbelievers by entering into their social situations and hanging out with them. He sought out the spiritually sick, the sinners and tax collectors, so as to bring them the good news. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus was constantly on the move to escape the crowds that only wanted their bellies filled or their bodies fixed so that he could proclaim the gospel to those with ears to hear. The Apostle Paul did the same. His travels from city to cities and frequent visits to synagogues and town halls were not about tourism. 
Rather, they were there for the very purpose of creating relational opportunities to proclaim the gospel to unbelievers. He needed new people to repeat his witness of what had happened on the Damascus Road and the subsequent insight that the Lord was constantly pouring into him. I think it's safe to say that Jesus did not say things only once. It's, it's not something that we really often consider, but it's very unlikely that Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount only once. It's very likely he gave it over and over again to different groups of people. He repeated parts of its message until all could hear. Think about the Gospels. Only Matthew records the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety, but all the Gospels have sections of its message in their body and without contradiction. Do we think that fishermen were so good at oral memorization that they memorized the sermon after one rendition and then could recount it all those years later in a letter? Was the Holy Spirit involved? Absolutely. But those apostles also knew that sermon inside and out. They had heard it. They had witnessed it many times until it was engraved on their hearts. Till they could tell that sermon backwards and forwards because they had witnessed the one that had lived it. They had lived it. And now the Holy Spirit was on them. They were experiencing it. So every time they spoke, there was truth, there was spirit, there was witness. And the multitudes joined the church in the thousands because they wanted what Jesus had given, love, mercy, grace, and salvation. <coughs> Paul spent approximately two years after the Damascus Road uh, salvation getting to know the Lord before he was sent to his first missions. Now, in his previous life, Saul knew the word up one side and down the other. He could argue circles around most theologians at the time, and yet the Lord knew that those arguments were not going to win many souls to the kingdom. The then converted Paul had to learn to witness all his knowledge, all his experiences, not through logic and prose, but through the Holy Spirit, love, mercy, and grace. He was blinded physically on the road to show him how his religiosity had blinded him to the heart of the Lord. So in this vein, I'm going to practice telling you the worst witnessing story that I know. It's my own. I have argued with God all week. I won't tell you who won, but I think it's probably apparent. Um, asking not to share this because I think it's like the most boring story. It's not a story filled with dramatic events, but it's one of, of just slow growth and, and God's mercy. And it doesn't change the facts about my, my broken or sinful nature, but it does talk about God's faithfulness and his pursuit of us. So I was born to a family with Christian morals, but no faith. At around two, my mom came to faith, and my father followed a short time later. So I basically went to church my whole life. My family is not one of dramatic upbringings. My parents actually loved each other. They loved all of us four kids, and they still do to this day. I don't ever remember not believing in God, but like all kids, I found church to be boring. It was something to be endured rather than enjoyed. And when the time came for me to make my own decisions about my faith, I decided the world looked to be a lot more fun. 
I was tired of being the good Christian kid, and so I wanted to see the other side of the fence. It was a short but very eventful few months, and I'd love to say there was a dramatic moment or this great scene of epiphany, but instead it was just a quiet conviction that I knew those parties and those scenes were not going to give me lasting contentment. I didn't even start going to church at that point. I just quietly didn't do bad things and thought that that kept me kind of neutral. I think I avoided praying at that time because I knew that if I prayed, the Lord was going to call me out, and I wasn't ready for that. There's a lot more other details that go on in this, but eventually I got married and moved to New West, and the conviction to start going to church grew. I knew I should, but there are all sorts of excuses to stay in bed and sleep in on a Sunday, especially when you are working six days a week, 60-plus hours. Thank goodness there was no YouTube stream at the time, or I might never have left the house. Because <laughs> it was here in church that I refound that joy in God, that, that peace that comes over us in the house of the Lord. And it was here that I was eventually challenged to take on the role of deacon. It's very unstated in my words, but I cannot explain what an absolute paradigm shift that was for me that someone would even suggest me for that role. And here is the crux of my witness. Because again, there were no lights. No angels visited my house, except my wife, but she lives there. <laughs> there was just a moment of prayer where the Lord asked me what my priorities were. And without thought, I went, work, family, God, in that order. And immediately, I started to justify my choice of work being first. And my thoughts were, well, it, it, it pays for my family to have food and shelter. But the reality was my identity was based on my career. My goal in life was to be a millionaire and successful in business so that my father and my father-in-law, who are both very successful people in their own stead, would be proud of me. It was so that I could be the root of provision for my family. You know, we could rest easy because I could take care of them. Now, all of this happened in my mind in an instant before I was pretty convicted and realized my priorities were pretty much completely backwards. So I prayed, Lord, show me how to put you first. Make you the priority in my life so that from your hands comes the strength and provision to care for my family and my work. And then I said the scariest words that a Christian can say in prayer. I said, Lord, whatever are your plans, I will follow. Again, there was no heavenly chorus that broke into song. No fireworks went off in the sky. I don't think I was even brave enough to tell Jesse about it until months later. But something had shifted. My, my priorities had shifted. I still worked a 55-hour work week, but all of a sudden I started taking Saturdays off. Then I took holidays off. And church was never optional at that point. It was something that was I looked forward to, and it just was never a question that we were going. Now, I have battled for years to put aside my human desire to overachieve and have the, my career be the focus of my being. And what I found is the Lord did not immediately take away that desire. But over days, over months, and over years, he has shifted my understanding of what success looks like. 
I still want to succeed in business. But my ultimate success lies in the Father, in following his ways, and in daily taking up my cross and working to be more like Jesus. In being a good husband and a good father. And to be honest, it feels like there's more bad days than good days, and that I fail more than I ever succeed. So my witness is not one of dramatic salvation, but it is one of daily discipleship. I find it tough to talk about because I'm not evangelical in the slightest. And whenever I stand up, sorry, I should say, but I stand up here whenever John asks me to, because when I told the Lord, whatever plans you have, I actually honestly never thought he meant this. (laughs) I mean, I would not have probably said it if I did. Um, But truthfully, it's now something I can't not think of doing because he Whenever I have something that I feel I can't do, he trains me, he grows me, and now I love standing up before you because there is a joy that comes when we follow the Lord. And, you know, if the Holy Spirit can use me to say one thing that brings any of you closer to God, then I will follow. And if I have to preach on the power of witness, then I guess I better be willing to do it myself. So what the Lord really convicted me of this week is that I don't get to choose who hears my witness and who it's going to be helpful for. I get to speak it when he says go, and then I don't try to figure out how that's going to affect them. I just trust that he will apply it to their lives or not. It's my job to be faithful and plant the seeds, not to worry about the soil or the harvest, at least not at this point. So to conclude today, we're learning these spiritual disciplines so that we can overcome our broken nature and create good habits. Habits that grow us spiritually and in faith with our Lord. Spiritual disciplines are daily repetitive tasks. They're not one and done. They're not disposable. They are meant to be practiced and practiced again and built upon over days and months and years. Spiritual disciplines, they're repeated acts, independence on the Holy Spirit and under direction of Jesus and otherwise teachers in his ways to enable us to get good at certain things in life that we cannot learn by direct effort. In Hebrews it says, therefore since we also have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us And let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. We want to rid ourselves of sin. This is not a a date on the calendar or a state that we will ever achieve. But rather than being discouraged, we use this as a motivation to drive us ever onwards. Onwards to the glorious returns of our souls to heaven or, or Jesus coming down from the clouds, whichever comes first. However, we want our witness to also be free of obstacles. We want to be unhindered so that our lives are a witness in act and deed. Some of the best conversations of faith have come when I've held back swearing or held back a rant when the world would say it's deserved. Because when we sacrifice our default, our our base desires for that which is higher, then the world takes notice. Because the world teaches that self is above all. 
And so when we look to others, we look to emulate our servant king, then the world notices and they will ask, what is greater than yourself? And we will hopefully be ready to answer that. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for just the power of witness. Lord, we just thank you for just the connection that you give us between each other. Lord, you give us connection as a community, but you just, you give us connection even between people that have never met. Lord, and you've built this amazing mechanism where we tell the stories, we testify of the things that you have done in our lives. And you use that to build your kingdom. Lord, they, they should be stories of failure, but you turn them into stories of success. You, you, you take every failure you have and you turn it into a glorification of who you are. And so, Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit come. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit come upon us, that you come in this place, because, Lord, we know that we cannot witness from ourselves that we cannot be effective witnesses without you. Lord, you are the one that teaches us. You are the one that trains us. You are the one that enables us to do these things that seem so far beyond ourselves, so far beyond the skills that we have. But Lord, we, we just put our trust in you. We, we just praise you for the Holy Spirit, and we just ask that he come in this place, that he reside in us so that, Lord, as we witness, it would be your word speaking through us. Lord, it would just be all the glory going to you. And we just pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Alex, for that sermon. I think in so many ways, even as Alex shared, that is a personal witness. Witnesses... For, for, for a lot of us that grew up in the church, witness is something that I think sometimes we have to kind of reform in our mind. We, we often think that witness is something that, that we go out and we, we share the gospels through the four spiritual laws or whatever it is that we go out and we, we preach on the corner, that we go out and do all those things. But witness may come to that place if God compels you to. I'm not saying that that's not how you do it. But that's not what the core of witness is. Core of witness is a discipleship of how we walk with the Lord. Witness, like all the spiritual disciplines, is a process that we go through. It is, a, it is coming into a being of what God wants us to be. That's what witness is. Witness doesn't require you to be the next Billy Graham, okay? And I often that's how we associate witness. Witness is living your life with Jesus and allowing others to see that you live your life with Jesus. That's what witness is. Witness includes our failures. Witness includes the places that we fall because that's when God's grace can shine through. Witness includes us giving testimony of what God is doing in our lives and through our lives. That's what witness is. Live it, witness is living out your authentic life with Jesus. And that's what the church is called to do. And that includes all of our failures and all of our wins. All of it. 
Witness is a state of being, and we need to draw that from Jesus Christ. We need to be connected to the Holy Spirit. We need to preach that gospel of God coming into our lives every single day so that we can experience him so that others may know. That's witness. And when you share your story, it gives glory to the one who created you. That is witness. So, Father God, we come before you. And we are to be your witnesses to the ends of this earth. That means we are to live with you and give you testimony. So, Father God, we just pray that your Holy Spirit come that you fill us, that you give us your peace, that you give us your grace. And Lord, as it comes upon us, Lord, may we be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. So Lord, we thank you and promise this. In Jesus' name, amen.